Welcome to the Building Confidence podcast brought to you by KPMG, where we explore how reform can create deserved confidence in governance, corporate reporting and audit. I'm Michelle Hinchliffe and I'm your host for today. And in this episode, we'll be talking about one of the key proposals in the recent Bayes consultation, which has been the subject of much debate already, and that is Directors' Accountability for Internal Controls, commonly referred to as UK SOX. Now, it's hard to believe that it's nearly 15 years ago that SOX was implemented in the US, and that required management to report on their assessment of internal controls over financial reporting, and in large companies, for the external auditor to report on their effectiveness. Now, since its implementation, there's been a considerable amount of research and evidence from the US demonstrating that SOX has strengthened the capital markets and the reliability of financial reporting, and also that external auditor attestation has led to improvements in the quality of the financial reporting, also improvements in internal controls, the chance to highlight problems early, and also it's been accredited as an early warning for fraud. Now, these benefits were also echoed in a study in 2017 by the Centre for Audit Quality, where 79% of the CFOs who took part felt that the overall quality of information in financial statements had improved since the enactment of SOX. And a further 85% believed that external audit of the company's internal controls over financial reporting has helped the company. Also, 80% agreed that the benefits of SOX outweighed the equivalent to the expense. In addition, the number of restatements reported by US public companies has steadily decreased since the introduction of SOX, and it reached its lowest level in 2019, having decreased by over 90% in the last 15 years. I'm delighted to be joined by Jock Lennox today to discuss this important topic. Jock holds a number of non-executive roles and also chairs the Audit Committee Chair's Independent Forum, and it's in that capacity that he played a key role in developing a set of draft principles to support a CEO and CFO attestation around internal controls over financial reporting. Jock, maybe before we take a dive in and talk about internal controls, it'd be great to get your initial thoughts on the base consultation as a whole, the the package of measures um, and the recommendations to drive change across the whole corporate reporting ecosystem. Uh, Well, thanks, Michelle. Um, And uh, thanks for the introduction. Um, I probably should just make it clear that... um, at this point, we're in the consultation phase, so my comment, the comments are mine, and uh, and and can't be seen to uh, represent uh, the the active view at this point. Um, look, it's a big uh, consultation, um, uh, and and I think it's important as we go through it, we don't lose sight of why we're here, and that's it's all about restoring confidence in in reporting. And the assurance of that, and and I think it's against that we will have to judge the various um, proposals um, and be confident that they do help with that restoration of um, of confidence. Uh, I think many of the proposals are 
about making clear um, existing responsibilities. Um, and there is clearly an extension of responsibilities and there's hooks to try and increase engagement uh, between companies and, and investors. Um, but much of it is uh, when you get into internal controls, fraud um, and so forth, we already have responsibilities in relation to that. Um, and the way I see it is is really sort of seeking to give some foundations and um, robustness behind the assertions which uh, which we as directors uh, make. Um, so I think it is a big undertaking. Um, and uh, but I think by working together, the various um, actors, um, we can uh, support um, a successful implementation of the proposals, but they do have to be proportionate, um, uh, and that's a certainly a watchword which companies will be looking will, will be looking for. Um, there are a lot of powers, potential powers, to be given to the new regulator, um, uh, both in terms of extending their uh, remit over directors and audit committees, but also f further in relation to uh, to auditors and so forth. Um, and I think it's, it's very important that they seem to be transparent um, and that to the extent there are sanction regimes, that there are uh, appropriate um, appellate processes and so on and so forth. Um, so there's a lot of work to be to be done um, to see this come in successfully. And, and Sir John Thompson, I know, has said that uh, he sees this as um, uh, as a process by which he works with the with the other parties um, to seek to get practical ways of implementing the various proposals. Brilliant. And, and maybe, Jock, if I can pick up on one of the points you raised then, is that in the UK, we already do have uh, a requirement around internal controls. Uh, the board of a company is required to summarise the processes applied in reviewing the effectiveness of their system of risk management internal controls and also to explain what actions are being taken to remedy any significant failings or, or weaknesses. So we already have that system in place now, but clearly the fact that we've got uh, incremental or additional proposals means that what we have isn't sufficient or isn't working. Is that correct? Well, uh, what, the way we sort of got, and I, when I say we, it is ACIF, got into this was, but we go back to... Um, the initial roundtable discussion we had with Sir John Kingman and his review, um, uh, where he was very much uh, considering um, regulatory oversight of audit committee um, performance, um, it caused us to examine really well, what, what are the foundations that our responsibilities sit on. And yes, we have the code, um, we have Companies Act responsibilities, we have uh, responsibilities within the listing agreement, um, but those foundations are not really very fleshed out. And um, uh, and I think when we started to think about, well, how, how can we evidence that we are fulfilling these responsibilities and how can someone have a look to see whether we have evidence those responsibilities, um, I, I think we felt there's a, there are foundations that that need to be put in place, um, which has then took us to that we should have some equivalence um, uh, to to SOX, um, but very much coming at it from a proportionate uh, uh, application um, um, 
uh, and one that's relevant to the to the individual uh, companies. And and I think if you look at the you know the, the any number of um, casualties that are corporate casualties that are trailed as being um, uh, you know our, our recent experience, you'd be hard pressed to be able to explain how um, all of these responsibilities that already exist have evidently been fulfilled. Um, uh, and also, I mean, at a personal level, um, uh, just uh, reflecting on a bit of um, COVID experience where I think we've all gone into um, trying to make our businesses more virtual. Um, it certainly caused me to question um, how easy it is for us to change the control infrastructure around a business model that's changing where we haven't really made it clear at a, at a granular level as to who's responsible for what. And, um, and, and um, so we have gone into sort of backfill. Um, really many of the ideas and thoughts that, are, that sit within a, um, a control framework such as uh, that SOX is, is driving at. Um, and, and so when we were looking at, at, looking at it, uh, ACIF has done some work, which is referenced in the uh, consultation document. We looked at the uh, financial position and prospects um, requirements within the listing agreement and said, well, why wouldn't we hang some form of um, undertaking on behalf of directors that relate to that, which, you know, implicitly we are we are have responsibility for already. Great. So maybe if I again pick up on the, the those strong foundations that, that you've referred to. Um, in the base consultation, they've actually outlined three options, although highlighting that they're not uh, intended to be mutually exclusive. But those three options are firstly to require an explicit director's statement about the effectiveness of internal control and risk management uh, risk management systems. Uh, secondly, to require auditors to report more about their views on the effectiveness of companies' internal control systems. And thirdly, to require auditors to express a formal opinion on the director's assessment of the effectiveness of the internal control systems. So three options, not mutually exclusive. Which of those or combination of those would you personally support? Um, well, it, I think you need the first one. Um in in place um because that's really the core of um uh, the the foundations that i've uh, referred to i, I you know I, and i think it's a director's responsibility it behoves us to explain how we are fulfilling our responsibility um and that's really the principle that, that i see that sits behind um why one would put in place um uh, some foundations so it's giving some evidence um and explaining on what basis the directors have their confidence. Um, and uh, the, the second and third, um, I, I think uh, there is clearly confusion around what auditors do in relation to controls. Um, but I think if you haven't resolved, if you haven't taken the first one, the second one, I don't think does it. Um, and, um, uh, but there's no reason not to, you know, there's no reason not to do that. Um, it might show up some interesting uh, or deal with some interesting misperceptions. Um, uh, and thirdly, um, I, you know, I, I'm not in favour of uh, mandatory 
um, assurance over the director's assertions. Um, if you follow the thrust of the proposals, we're going to have um, an audit and assurance policy, um, which I think is going to be the main hook for engagement between uh, the board, uh, the audit committee and investors. Uh, and if so, if we can use that, it will allow people to challenge the audit committee to justify their position as to why they have or have not um, taken assurance on the assertions. Um, and um, so I, I, I would use the audit, the audit and assurance policy mechanism uh, to land that on a particular uh, company. Um, and uh, I'm sure there will be cases where assurance is, is taken, um, uh, but I don't see that it should be a, um, uh, I, I don't think it should be a mandatory. Um, and I think it's really down to the, it should be down to the, the directors of the company to explain what they've done and why they believe that's appropriate. Great thing. Look, thank you. I think the the discussion around um, uh, assurance will certainly be a topic which will be covered throughout the uh, throughout the consultation process. I think my understanding, if I am correct, from uh, Sir John Thompson's uh, recent uh, engagements where he has spoken, seems to be in favour of some form of assurance. But as you said, it can come through a number of diff different mechanisms, and the uh, audit and assurance policy is one mechanism through um, through which. Uh, stakeholders can uh, take away some form of assurance over the re over the reporting. You know, it, and, it, and, and sorry, just Michelle. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think it's it, it's if we get down if we go down this um, uh, this path, I think it is going to be pretty unlikely that people won't have assurance periodically because they'll want to um, just gain confidence that the you know the foundations are do stand up to scrutiny. Um, I just don't see that that is going to be something that's needed to be done on an annual basis. Great, thank you. So, Jock, maybe if then uh, focusing on the types of companies that perhaps this framework would apply to, and again, there's been a lot of debate whether it should be premium listed companies, should it be public interest entities? Do you have a view as to the scope of how wide this, this policy should apply? Um, I mean, it, it, as with all these things, in terms of the consultation, a, a key watchword is proportionality. Um, but at the same time, for me, it's about um, standing behind one's responsibilities. And um, so it's finding how to demonstrate you have fulfilled your responsibilities. And I, I think um, the definition of what a pie is and therefore what the scope of the reg regulatory regime um, covers um, is up for discussion at, at the moment um, and there's clearly concern that um, to the extent there's further um, oversight and um, regulatory potential regulatory burden on public companies it doesn't doesn't disadvantage them as against um, private companies um, but I think if you buy into the concept that there are pie companies which are in the public interest um to um and have responsibilities across a whole range of um measures then this the, the um responsibility in relation to controls should to my mind should apply equally to them all um uh and now people will say uh, well you know 
you know smaller companies um you don't want to, to to kill them overburden them and that's absolutely right so which that's why we've got to find a way of, of applying this um proportionately um I, oh, but uh, what uh, I think it also may, means that if you um, accept the, the argument I, I'm making, then you need to have a phased implementation. So you give people time to prepare um, for what might be different for them. Um, I think the uh, companies in the FTSE 350 um, are, uh, should be at the front of the, um, the pack and you could have a phased uh, implementation that allowed you to take stock um, before then following on with the wider pie group um, to see that you have got a, a regime that is proportional. Um, but I think I, I, for me, that's about how you then implement it, not whether you should um, whether you should implement it. Because for me, I come back to this, it's a point of principle that if uh, you know if pies are to demonstrate their uh, their responsibilities, then it seems to fit within that um, sort of overall bucket. And coming back to the to the costs, and you've mentioned the need for proportionality here, but given the the requirements which are already in place within the the UK around internal controls, and maybe if we focus on the FTSE three hundred and fifty, do, do you think that it will be a massive uh, increase in the uh, amount of effort that's required and the cost? in terms of uh, implementing some form of UK, UK SOCs? Um, well, of course, many um, companies in the 350 are already listed in dual listed in um, uh, environments where they have a SOCs uh, in the US and other countries too. Um, and so I think one of the design uh, requirements is that or whatever we do, uh, assuming we do something, um, that there's equivalence. Um, so we don't have um, uh, another uh, go at it. So the design needs to be such that if you satisfy a robust regime elsewhere, then it's, it enables you to um, satisfy the, the design of the um, assertion that we, we should be looking to in the UK. Um, I also think that you know a lot of companies are are moving in this in this direction anyway, um, and um, because they've recognised that, particularly with changing business models, etc., they do need to have a more granular um, definition of responsibility and understand their, you know, reporting. And of course, I'm, what I'm talking about is the uh, control over financial reporting um, as the the envelope with, with which. Um, this regime would apply, um, but I think many companies are are starting to and have been formalising um, their, their regimes. Now, I, I don't know what exactly the um, uh, uh, the the scope of where companies are at the moment. There will be so there will be a cost. Um, there'll be you you know you've got to get a hump over the hump to get on top of this and then you get into a rhythm and the annual cost becomes becomes less. I think what is important to, from the implementation is that we have, we, we focus on material um, shortcomings. Um, uh, and, and I think we'd all recognize that when SOX was in, implemented in the US, it was measuring to a degree 
that uh, was beyond what was actually proportionate, um, and that therefore the costs were just, um, uh, you know, were huge. Um, so it's thought that how, how we apply it um, so that uh, people do actually see the benefit from um, improving uh, and having a good audit trail on their, uh, their control infrastructure. Yes, no, absolutely. And I guess the, that, that cost-benefit analysis becomes quite critical. And clearly, as you mentioned earlier, when companies fail, there is a cost there as well. So, um, you know, perhaps better incur the, the costs up front to strengthen those systems of internal control. And clearly, it won't prevent companies fa from failing, but hopefully it will highlight issues a lot, lot earlier in the process. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, of course... You know, if you're a naysayer, um, you're kind of never going to be persuaded that, um, that there's there's costs uh, to be incurred here that will have benefit. Um, but you know, I've I've worked in a whole variety of environments, um, uh, and my own you know, certainly my own belief is the better the better controlled organisations avoid costs of mistakes better. Than those that, that than those that don't, and if you so if you buy into that, um, you know th these these costs will over time definitely you know will pay for themselves. Um, we won't prevent corporate failures, and it'd be naive to think that that that's the case. Um, but I think one of the aspects of the you know the whole package of um, ideas that are behind the proposals is that. Um, we should certainly have a lot fewer surprises um, than we have um, than we have had. Absolutely, Jock. If I maybe focus on some of the the detail in terms of the perhaps the potential scope of. Uh, internal controls uh, reporting. And it, it was an issue that was identified or, or discussed at a round table we held recently with investors. Um, and we were talking around what a UK version of SOX might look like. And a number of them were very strongly in favour of strengthening uh, controls over some non-financial information, which is important to investors. Uh, they suggested things like alternative profit measures, ESG metrics, uh, and other non-key Oh, sorry, non-financial key performance indicators. So do, do you think there is merit in expanding the scope of attestation to those metrics which are very much of interest to uh, investors and analysts? Um, I, I think the, I understand the, the desire for the, the assurance over what those, those numbers represent. Um, the way I would look at it is that the uh, financial control reporting um, uh, process should relate to the financial statements because that's a sort of an envelope that um, is defined. Um, uh, it, it you know it's an envelope that we all that we all have to satisfy with, uh, and then I would look to um, and I mentioned it you know already the the um, the audit and assurance policy. To, for a company to explain what are the other aspects of reporting that it's um, that it's making and how it is derived, how it's obtained assurance as to uh, you know as to what you know to the, the robustness of those. Um, 
so I would use I would see that as the mechanism to answer that um, that question rather than trying to define specifically what um, regime of assurance should apply in all respects to to these particular measures because in some areas clearly th these measures are more important than in others um, and um, uh, the um, yeah so and 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 if if the board, if the audit committee the the audit committee should be ex able to explain the architecture where 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 have those numbers come from um how do they relate to the financial statements which is within a robust envelope and then how have they satisfied themselves that what they're then showing in addition through those other measures uh, and and clearly that's this is going to apply to ESG and all of our um uh, on, on climate specifically on our T TCFD reporting um it, it's just exactly how has assurance been obtained in relation to to that um and and if if we can get this the uh the audit and assurance um policy going and a, and a proper dialogue between um investors and audit committees and uh, you know that is one of the areas where um i think we are looking for a greater engagement um so we're trying to find the mechanisms to you know to help that um we should be able to to see whether uh specific questions or um interests from individual investors are being satisfied or or not and then work out how to you know how to resolve those as opposed to going for some sort of scorched earth uh blanket blanket um approach um so i man i'd be re i'd be reasonably optimistic and confident that that um the well used that that audit and assurance policy will, will, will be that mechanism that uh, I think will satisfy what people are looking for. Great. So the, so that again comes back to that's quite a core plank, that, that policy becomes a core plank of a number of these measures. And, and perhaps what you are highlighting here, Jock, Jock is the, the a number of these recommendations, they impact on one another. And therefore, you need to look at them as a package of reform measures, uh, not a set of individual measures uh, that will operate uh, independently or, or separately. And that becomes, I think, a really important message from this consultation. Yeah, and you know, and, and if if a company sees particular information as being important um, and is communicating it on that vein to investors and other stakeholders, then it should be able to explain why it thinks it's important and what it's done to satisfy itself that it's accurate and appropriate. Yes. So, so certainly, um, Jock, from the engagement we've had with many different stakeholders, they expect some form of controls attestation will be required as a result of this consultation. So in, if you were giving advice to audit committee chairs today, sitting here, um, what would that be? Should they start planning? Should they be taking action now? Uh, how, how do they get ahead of potentially what's coming down the track? Well, I, I, I do think it's worth asking asking the question uh, and working out with and probably with your head of audit um exactly how what and controller you know exactly because i think it's a sort of um you need the controller and the um and the head of audit working together um well exactly where are we at the moment um and if we are going to have a um 
an explicit attestation uh, how are we going to do that um so there's a there will be a, a you know you'll need a project plan in place and work out you know all the classic stuff um and it will be a resourcing issue as to how you move from here to you know here to there um and the sooner you you sort of seek to see the size of the challenge the sooner you'll be in a position to have confidence that you've got a a plan in place um uh and you know clearly there's while the actual regime um uh or framework is 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 not defined COSO is one that is out there which um uh it, you know people know and love um uh so that might not be a bad place to sort of use as a benchmark to think about um but clearly where we end end up might not be quite that um that that you know that's that's to be you know def defined through this consultation um process but i wouldn't think you you know on the 80 20 rule i don't think it'd be a million miles away um because much of it's common you know it's common sense um and um uh, think about what how you would actually undertake this absolutely so so Joe, if i if i take us forward five years in time and and you're looking back um at the changes that have been implemented as as a result of the the base consultation maybe we need to go beyond five five years but if we look back at the the whole package of of measures what what we, would you think would be the biggest driver of change that really has helped build confidence in the UK uh, corporate reporting ecosystem? Um, I mean, I think we've, it, this is a big undertaking um, and it um, is going to affect, um, to be successful, is going to affect all of the elements of the ecosystem as you you know as as you call it um whether it be the boards the investors the auditors and the regulator and so we we've all got it in our own ways we've got to get engaged in this in this process um so that there is is really trust behind what comes out the back end of it um and that we feel that, that we've got a um a regime that is uh that is proportionate um and that is the aspects of it are transparent and we are engaged in uh in how uh companies report investors respond regular regulatory oversight is undertaken um so if if we stand off this and you know and i come come at this you know i don't like change in the sense of you know increased regulatory um burden um i don't like aspects of you know personal level of um uh restrictions and what people can and can't do um but when i step back from it it's it, this is about um all elements of governance and reporting improving the credibility and so i think it behoves all of us to step up to the plate and do our you know do our bit and accept that we you know we just have to be more transparent and explicit um in what we are doing um and then perhaps uh the, the broader uh court of public opinion will actually understand uh, uh somewhat better 
and um, the the board we're you know we're all held appropriately to account for what we do, um, and it's not just a you know the the the, the way we're the auditors um, when uh, when something has uh, when a corporate failure um, comes along, um, so a, a bit of a um, a rambling answer to you. Uh, to your your question, uh, Michelle, um, uh, it, it isn't going to be a an easy uh, road. I'm sure there will be frustrations, um, but it is. I say for me, it's all about gaining trust in uh, establishing trust in this in this whole ecosystem, um, such that we get the corporate um, debate off the front pages and and have it in the business pages. Brilliant. That that certainly is music to my ears to, to to hear that. And I think you know certainly we at KPMG have said look recognise a need for change, but that's change across all of the key stakeholders in the um in the in this corporate reporting ecosystem. We all have a role to play, um, and I agree. If it's on the the business pages where we can have um, a really good debate and learn, because when thing, things as you said earlier, you know things will go wrong, but we need to learn from those, and we need to continue to to improve and strengthen. Um, the, the corporate reporting and the UK, because ultimately that's what we're looking for, the UK to be an attractive place for people to invest. And I, I mean, I think that learn, the learning point, I think, is important. And it, it, it doesn't, I'm not sure it features particularly strongly in the, in the consultation, but um, I, I do, I think at the moment, the, the, we're very good at criticising and... Um, um, finding people and uh, you know uh, finding people guilty, etc. Of uh, in in the event of a failure, I'd say we're much less good at uh, root cause analysis and really exposing what has happened in a way that we can all learn from and experience. Um, because you know, oftentimes it's not. Yes, there are times when there's just you know bad bad actors out there, but it's it's not just that, and we would all benefit from learning from the experiences that have taken place. Um, uh, and I I certainly would like to see a lot more of that as a as a norm, um, such that we use um, use you know bad experiences to learn, not just to um, to hold people to, uh, to, not just to hold people to account. Well, that's all we have time for in today's podcast. And we've certainly covered a lot of ground. Jock, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Having listened to you, my key takeaways from the things we've covered are, firstly, we need a strong and transparent framework, which will provide the foundation for internal controls reporting in the UK. Secondly, while there will be costs up front, we do need to assess the benefits against these costs and the benefits from the US experience are compelling. And finally, the order and assurance policy, which provides a mechanism for investors to have their say on the type of assurance obtained will play a key role. In our next episode, I'll be talking to Charles Tilley from the International Integrated Reporting Council and we'll be exploring proposals for a new business resilience statement. I do hope you can join me. Thank you and goodbye for now.